Isn't it true that vision does something in our lives, that we all need to have vision? In fact, sometimes at an early age, our vision goes bad. You know when you're young and you're, you, you just think that that's how everything is supposed to look? That sometimes even, even as early as 10 years old or sometimes younger, we need eyeglasses or some of us would rather wear contacts. But as we age, sometimes our eyes go bad. And we never know our eyes go bad until we take a test or an eye exam. Because for some of us, we just think, oh, they must have, everything must look like that. Oh, my TV is going bad. Oh, that sign must be blurry. Or this is happening. Or, or, or we think that, oh, when they printed this newspaper, it's blurry. But it's not those things. It's usually our eyes. And so we go to get our eyes tested to see if we have 20-20 vision. Now, apparently for some of us, it's obvious that we don't have 20-20 vision, and that's okay. Now we have glasses, and with the help of glasses, we can see better. But did you know that you and I, we don't see with our eyes? We don't. That's a lens. We see with our brain. So the eye is bad. And when the eye is bad, the vision is blurry. And so we can, we can do our very best to rethink things, but if our eyes aren't corrected or the lens is not corrected, then everything stays blurry. And the same is true with our life, that God wants us to have a vision for our life. But sometimes we're so used to the life we've been living, we're used to being in an abusive situation. We've, we, we're used to being uh, in a, a, a situation that is harmful for us. We're used to having uh, violence around us. We're used to having drugs around us. We're used to having arguing around us. We're used to complaining. We're used to all of these things. So by the time we come of age or become an adult, we just think this is how life is. And so by the time we come to God, we're wondering, how can, how can I have a better life in God? Because we don't see it. That's why the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. It takes a faith to believe that God's going to do something great. And God wants to give us vision for our life. Now, our past may tell us something different. Our past may make it blurry for us. Other people may make it blurry for us. Our own selves may make it blurry for us. We may make excuses. We may point fault at people. But it still comes back to God wanting to give us vision for our life. A vision that is worth living for. The kind of vision that only God can give. Not the kind of wishful thinking that we hope to achieve, but the kind of vision that God gives that is so compelling that we're willing to trust in Him to achieve that. When we were children, usually, you know, people would come to school and we would have career day. And sometimes adults would tell us, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? For many of the children, and many of us when we are children, we would say, I want to be a fireman. Because they see the cool things firemen can do. They ride the truck, they beep the horn, they put on the siren, they can, you know, they have the holes, and they, they do all of these things. In other words, as children, we see the firemen playing water. But we don't see the rigorous training that they have to go through, the, the numerous amounts of time to study, the danger that they face every day, and them fighting fires and saving lives. 
We see the end result, but we don't see what it took to get there. Same thing like a police officer. We see that, okay, they, that's what I want to be when I grow up. A police officer looks cool. They can carry a gun. They have a cool uniform, and they look good. They get a nice car, and you can turn on the siren anytime you like and go through red lights and go get jack-in-a-box quickly if you got to go some. That's what we thought as children. Oh, if I was on cop, I couldn't go anywhere anytime because I get on siren. And so we, we have a, a, a picture of what we want to be, But it's inaccurate because we don't see the full picture of what it takes to get there. Now, same thing in our lives. Sometimes we'll look at somebody else and we'll say, Boy, I wish my life was like that. Boy, I wish my marriage was like that. I wish I had that job. I wish I had that much money. But we don't see what it took to get there. And at the same time, we don't realize sometimes that it's a struggle to be where we think It would be smooth sailing. When we were, of course, dreaming as we were at an early age, many of us would say, I just want to be rich. When I grow up, I'm going to be rich. Or for some of you, you said, I'm just going to marry somebody rich. If I can just hit the jackpot, I'll marry somebody rich. Then I'll be fine. But then as you continue to grow up, you come to a place in life that it's really about being happy rather than having so much things. Isn't it true you come to a place where you say, look, I don't care if I'm rich. I just want the family to be happy. I don't care if I have all this stuff. I just want the family to be happy. See, something takes place. Something changes. There's a transition that takes place as we continue to learn about vision for our life. See, many of us want a successful life. We want vision. We want to achieve something, but very few are willing to do what it takes to get there. As we talk this morning, I want to ask us three questions that will help us when it comes to vision for our life. And this morning, I want us to really think about just you and the Lord. Because other people's names will come in, so-and-so. You'll think about this person. You'll think about your job, your boss, your, 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 uh, uh, those that you work with, your, your co-workers, your family members. Just think today, you and the Lord. Throughout this entire time we spend together, just think, it's, it's about the Lord and I. How can, how can I have the kind of vision for my life that comes from God? The first question I want to ask us, and if you're taking notes, you can write this in. Where am I getting vision from? Where does it come from? Where am I getting my vision? Where, where does vision for my life come from? Where, where is it? How, how do I get that? And you may even be able to answer that right now. Some of you would say, I, I pray. I ask God. Some of you would say, well, I read books. Or some, sometimes I get from other people. Maybe they, they speak into my life. Or maybe what you see in the media, that something sparks your interest, and then you say, that's what I, what I want to do or what I want to be. For some, it may be jealousy. Out of jealousy, you see somebody having something else or becoming someone, and so now you want to do that. That could be your motive. Sometimes it's parents that our parents say, you know, you would be great doing this. Sometimes they're encouraging and they'll give suggestions. They'll say, boy, if you did this, that would be great. If you could do this, that would help tremendously. Or, or this, is, this is who you are. You have such a gift for this. And sometimes we hear it from parents. Sometimes we hear it from our own spouses. And they'll say, boy, you know, this is, you're so good at this. If only you could do this. And sometimes we hear it from our own family members. 
Sometimes on the positive side, sometimes on the negative side. Sometimes they say, boy, you could be great. Sometimes they say, sometimes they say boy, you, would, you could be great. So we get it from all kinds of different places. Sometimes we get it from some famous person. And we see what they're doing. And they're in the spotlight and, and that inspires us. But did you know that Jesus himself understood that you and I would be living in a difficult world? He knew that. And in order for us to have a successful life in him, we would need to be able to overcome some difficult challenges. And he knew that. That's why he said this in John 16, 33. All the things that he speaks to us, he says, These things I have spoken to you that in me, again, this is between you and the Lord today, in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. See, if Jesus has overcome the world, then that tells me that anytime I'm down because of my situation, anytime I'm down because I'm not accomplishing what I know I should be accomplishing as a husband, as a father, or maybe for you as a wife or as a mother, as a grandparent, as a child, as a student, as a business person, as a politician, that you're thinking, I, I, I'm just not accomplishing what I know I'm capable of. You may be a single person, maybe a teacher, whatever it would be. And if you're thinking that, then that may be an indication that you may not have the peace that is found in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're looking for other areas that you can find this peace or this satisfaction, but he says, no, it's in me. In me you have peace. See, when Jesus is the one who gives you vision for your life, you will be of good cheer, no matter how difficult your situation. He has overcome the world. There's something very unique when Jesus gives you vision for your life. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. Now, I want us to pause here. Basically, what they were doing was their job. That's what they did. That was their livelihood. They were fishermen. Now, I'm not sure if they enjoyed it. I'm not sure if they were excited every single day to go fishing. I know some of us, you'll go fishing for just recreational time. But these guys did this for a living. Some of you guys may do that for a living. But these guys were casting their nets. So I don't know what they were feeling. However... Jesus comes along and he said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is what they did. They immediately left their nets and followed him. The vision that Jesus gave to them was so compelling that they stopped midway in the middle of their work and followed Jesus. Now it began that way. They were excited. Like many of us, we get excited because God does something in our hearts and we go full force. But then a test comes up. One of the tests that they, they experienced was after a certain point, some of the disciples started to leave. And Jesus was left with the twelve. And he said to them, are you guys going to leave also? That's the test. Jesus gave them a vision, and then the test came. God will give you vision for your life, and be sure the tests will come. God will say, okay, it's time for you to be married. Okay, 
And as you get closer, oh, no more money, no more this, no more that. No more. All the excuses will come up, but you heard the Lord speak. The test will come. God will say, fight for your marriage. The test will come. You'll say, no sense, give up. The test will come. You'll be at your job and then God will say, hang on just a little bit longer and you'll say, no, I'm out. The test will come. It's what we do at the test that matter most because we're going to get tested. When Jesus asked that question, Simon Peter answered him in John 6, 68. It says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. See, the test came to Peter. And Peter said, no, 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 you gave me a vision for my life. Who else can do that? Your words are what bring eternal life. That's what I follow. Follow your words. Easy to say. Sometime later, Jesus is arrested and tried, sent, sentenced to death. They nail him on the cross. But before that happens, the Bible says that, that Peter was following Jesus at a distance. And people were asking Peter, Hey, aren't you like one of the disciples? Peter said, Me? No, it's, it's not me. I, I don't know who you're talking about. He said, No, you, you look familiar. No, that's not me. That's Pastor Charlie. I don't know who you're talking about. That's not me. <laughs> Somebody asked him again, Hey, no, you were with Jesus. I saw you with him. Peter again denied. A third time someone asked him, and he got so upset, he cursed at them. It was at that moment that he and Jesus' eyes met. And Peter remembered the words of the Lord. Remember the Bible says that? He remembered the words of the Lord. Because it's his word that has eternal life. And Peter remembered that. And Peter wept bitterly. And that's right after that, the rooster crowed. Remember that whole incident? Peter wept bitterly. Jesus goes to the cross, dies, but he comes back to life. Peter was back to fishing, but then he's given that, that opportunity once again. Jesus speaks to him again, and he says, Peter, do you love me? He asks him three times after he was resurrected. He asks Peter, do you love me? Again, the words of Jesus Christ restores Peter. Peter remembers that Jesus gave him vision for his life, and Peter stayed steady even till death. You might be thinking, yeah, but, but I have this dream on the, on the inside and, and a passion to do something great, but, but my wife doesn't support me, but my husband doesn't support me, my boss, my co-workers, they don't support me, my children, my family, this person, that person, they don't support me. Uh, how, how, how can I accomplish what I'm supposed to when I'm not supported? Here's the second question that we can ask ourselves. Who is affected by my decisions? Because sometimes we think, okay, God gave me this vision for my life. I'm going to run with it and too bad for everybody else. And we have our, our closest people running, try to keep, trying to keep up with us. And we say, no, this is what God said for me to do. Follow along. And we just run. But it affects people. Sometimes it's not that people don't want to support you. It may be that they're fearful of the unknown. It could be that they're just afraid of what, what we can't see. They might not know what to do. Some of you received the Lord. You told your family members and they're like, oh, okay, so 
What does that mean? Well, we're going to go to church every week. We're going to read the Bible. We're going to study every single day. Come on. Hallelujah. They're like, ooh, uh, wow. Uh, yesterday you wasn't like this. Today you're different. And so for so many people, it's not that they don't want to support you. They just are afraid of the unknown. They don't know what to do. Sometimes it could be that maybe they've seen this happen before. Maybe you've made promises. Maybe you've said, oh, I'm going to change. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Oh, this is what we're going to do. And, and, and nothing came about of it. Or, or nothing happened. And so then in their ears, and what they're hearing is blah, 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 blah. That's what they may be hearing. They may be watching to see if you're going to do the same thing you did before. And maybe this time you're saying, no, this is going to be a good thing. This is, this is going to be great. It's guaranteed. All we have to do is, and you lay it down, and then they're thinking, but you did this before. And at the end, our finances were depleted. There was nothing to show for it. It's not that they don't want to support you. Maybe there's a track record there. And so they're fearful. Maybe sometimes we've said certain things, and, but we didn't finish well. And it was just left unfinished. See, when God gives us vision for our life, He doesn't want us to act foolishly. Here's how He puts it in Luke 14, 28. He says, Which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Now, the vision in this story is building a tower. That's the vision in this story. But the next step was to sit down and calculate the cost. Now catch this, to sit down and calculate the cost, not to see if you have enough to start it. He says, you first sit down and calculate the cost to see if you have enough to finish it. Many of us are excellent sprinters, horrible marathon runners. Oh, we can win the sprints, but the marathons, we die after 10 yards. The Bible is saying, no, you just sit down. You don't just run. You sit down. You calculate the cost. Not, not to see if you have enough to start, but to see if you have enough to finish. And when you sit down and say, let's get married, you're not going on emotion and saying, oh, we're going to get married. It's going to be a great start. But you want to have a great finish. So when you get married, you don't think about this year. As great as the honeymoon will be, you don't just think about that. You think about your entire life together to finish well. Many of us can start jobs well. We can start projects well. We can start relationships well. But we don't finish well. Ask yourself that question. Who is affected by my decisions? That may be the reason why certain people may respond in certain ways. See, every decision has a cost to it. But if I'm running while trying to calculate the costs, I'll miss key components in the calculating of my costs. That's, that's why it's important to sit down and calculate. 
And usually the key components that we miss are the people who are most closest to us, the people that are, are loved by us, the, the people that are, are in our own family. We don't calculate that cost. You know, one of my goals, and I think I've said this before, but one of my goals is to stay healthy enough so that I can play with my children. I have two boys. One is 24, one is 18. And my two grandchildren, one is three years old and one is one. Well, he's going to be three next month. One of my goals is to stay healthy enough so that I can play basketball with them all on the same team. Thank God you only need five. All on the same team. That's my goal. So if my grandson, who's one years old, I would say about 12 years old, maybe they can run with us in that, in that kind of way. Maybe I would be same speed at that age that he is at 12 years old. Or he might be faster. But I thought, to me, that's a vision for my life. Because that vision puts every other area in my life in perspective. It helps me to, to stay healthy, to eat better, to exercise to keep my mind sharp, to keep my marriage good. No sense have this compelling vision and then with my grandchildren and children, but my marriage is falling apart. It helps me with my finances. I want to do well so that I can actually buy a basketball at that time. I want to do well. So in everything that I do, and that's just a part of the vision that God gives in my life, that it helps me in so many other areas for my life. Do you have a vision for your life that affects other people? And if so, how are you doing with that? When Heidi and I were struggling at about year three in our marriage and so many things were just coming in, and, and uh, at about that time, we were trying to figure out, well, what do we do? You know, how, how do we make this work? Because divorce was never an option. It was for life. How do we do this? What do we need to do? How do, how do we get stronger? And instead of us saying, well, we've just got to be strong. You know, we, we just, all we have to do is pray. All we have to do is go church. All we have to do, it, that's not all we had to do. There's so many other elements and so many other things, so many steps that we needed to take, but we needed to start somewhere. And so what we did is start out in, in, the, in the most basic way, and we started out with our date nights. We said, let's just, let's just date again. Yeah, but our children are young. We can't afford it. We can't go out. Well, let's cut some costs. We cut cable. We cut all kinds of other things in our home. And, and we thought, but how are we going to pay a, baby, a babysitter? We made sacrifices. Even if we had to eat simon, nothing wrong with that. Even if we had to cut costs in food, we did what we had to do so our marriage could survive. And I tell you, it was a whole lot less expensive to pay a babysitter than it would be to pay a lawyer. So much more on the less expensive side. But it required a small step. We had to do something. Because every decision we make affects somebody. It affected our children. It affected our, our family members. Every decision that we make. See, when you don't have vision for your life, your life will pass you by without you even noticing it. It's like our eyes, when it goes bad, you really don't notice until the tests come. And when life passes us by and we don't have vision for our life, basically what happens is you just exist. You don't live. You just exist. 
and you live from day to day doing the same things over and over, never satisfied with life, where are you getting vision? Where is it coming from? Who does it affect? And the last thing, and I want us to write this in, am I faithful? Am I faithful with what I already have? Am I faithful? Am I faithful with what God has already given to me? See, God has plans for us, no doubt about that. But just because He has plans doesn't mean that we do nothing with it. God can lay out the plans and He says, Okay, here's the plan for your life. I know you don't understand it all right now. You don't understand everything. But, but just start off, just take one step. We're going to build this. We're going to build your life together. Here's the blueprints. I know you don't understand all of the architecture that I have for your life. But here's what I do have. I have a tool belt right there. Just put on the tool belt and I'll teach you and show you what step you have to do. One nail at a time. One two by four at a time. One, one color paint at a time. One stone at a time. We'll do it little by little. Yeah, but I, I can't do that. I can't be that husband. I can't be that wife. I can't be that parent. I can't do these things. I can't be that, that kind of student. I, I can't accomplish that. I can't be that worker. I can't be that boss. I cannot be that business person. I cannot succeed in that. Too many can'ts for what God sees can. God is saying, I'm not asking you to finish all of this. All I'm asking you to do is put on the tool belt. That's all you need to do. Just take one step at a time. One step at a time. For Heidi and I, it was starting off with date night. We're starting off with cutting costs here. There's always one small step that God is asking us to take. take. The question is, what is yours? What is that one small step He's asking you to do for the vision that He has for your life? Now remember, the Bible says, for which of you when He wants to build a tower? Not plan a tower, build. That means we, we must do something about it. And he says, build. Why? Because it's a process. One thing at a time. He's not saying built. Built is finished product. Yeah, we would want to have a small little button that we can press and the house comes up. One small button and our life comes together. But he says, no, I'm building it. Little by little. It's a process. That's how I designed you. But you must take one step at a time. It's to build. Something must be done. But God will watch my faithfulness with what I've already been giving for, for what He's already given to us so that I can proceed to the next step. He's watching my faithfulness with what I already have right now. Am I faithful in my marriage? Am I faithful with the relationships that God gave to me? Am I being faithful with what He gave to me? Am I, am I faithful of giving to Him? Am I faithful in, in what I've committed to Him? Am I faithful God looks at that and He says, Now, because you're faithful in this, I can, I can help you in so many other things. And Jesus illustrates this so well with the story of the three servants. I'm going to read from the book of Matthew. It's found in Matthew chapter 25. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. But Matthew 25, I'll read from verses 14 through 24. And it's a story that Jesus gives. And He says this in Matthew 25, verse 14. He says, Again, it will be like a man going, into a, going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another he gave two talents, and to another he gave one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. 
But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Well, the man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. He said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and and gathering where you have not scattered seed. In other words, what this guy did is, is he assumed that what was given to him was his to do with whatever he wanted to. It was his to own. It was never his in the first place. It was always his master's. His master gave them responsibility. Because the other two were faithful with what they were given, the master said, I can give you more. I can bless you with more. Why? Because you're faithful with what I've given to you. But watch how this last servant responds. It's in your notes, verse 25 of the book of Matthew. He says, "So, So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And he gives him back the one talent. And it says, and if you read on, it says, You wicked servant, you knew me to be a harsh man. Why didn't you at least throw this in the bank? I could have gained some interest on it. But no, you dig a hole and you hide this talent, what I've given to you? He says, take this talent, give it to the other ones. And take this man and take him out. And I thought, wait a minute, okay, I don't want to be the last man. I don't want to be the last servant. I want to be either the five or the two. I'm okay with being a two-talent person. I'm fine with that. I'm good with that, Lord. But what I will not settle for is burying, even if I only have one talent, to bury that talent. But at the same time, I will do this. And I pray that God will give you this tool. That God will give every single one of you a shovel so that you can dig up the talent you've been hiding before the Master returns. That you dig it up. In fact, I've done this before. I said, Lord, in my family, in my history, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of uh, mistakes. There's a lot of bad decisions. There's a lot of hidden talents that they hid. So much potential. Lord, I want to dig up the talents from my ancestors. I want to dig up the talents that have been hidden. And I want to use it for you. Because there's so many hidden talents, even in our own family, that are still buried. That we can dig up. And use for the Lord. In other words, what I'm saying is, sometimes I'll see a relationship that's going well, but still they're hiding some talent. 
They're hiding their potential, what they could be. And I'll say, Lord, you know, that person, they have such a wise way of thinking, but they're not using it for their marriage. If they're hiding that talent, I want to dig it up. I want to use it for my marriage. Lord, this person is not doing well. Help me to learn what not to do. Help me to learn how I can do things better. I'll dig up the talent. If they don't want it, Lord, I'll take it. If they don't want it, it's yours. It belongs to you. I'm not going to steal it. If you want me to have it, you're going to give me the shovel. I'll go and dig it up. I'll do it myself. If you don't want the talent, I'll be happy to dig it up. I'll do the work. I'll strive to do whatever I need to do so that I can be the kind of person that you made me to be, that you would give me vision for your life, for my life. I would not want to hide it, Lord, because it all belongs to you. Every talent, every skill, every dollar, every word, every action, every ounce of energy, when given to us, God looks for those who are faithful. Not so that we can stay the same, but, the, but so that He can give us more. He can give us more love, more compassion. He can give us more patience, give us more energy. And He can give us, and he can give us such a vision for our life that it will take Him to accomplish it. That we'll be faithful with what He's given to us so that we can be more and more like Him. Luke 19, 26, He says, I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. I wonder if, I wonder if God gives us a long time so that we can dig up that talent Remember in this story, Jesus was saying, and the, and the master went on a long journey. I wonder if he took that long so that he gives us enough time to say, wait a minute, okay, you gave me vision for my life. I need to dig that back up again. So that when you check on my marriage, you check on my family, you check on my heart, you check on my life, I can say, Lord, it's a little, it's a little dirty right now. There's some dirt on it, but I dug it back up. Not li- I'm not leaving it to stay buried. But you've given me this vision for my life doesn't matter how young I am, how old I am. You still gave me vision for my life. I'm going to run with it. I'm going to count the cost. But I'm going to build once again. God gives us that vision. Now, why do we need to be faithful with what He's given to us? And what importance does it have when it comes to vision for my life? I want to close with this scripture. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Here's... Here's the whole heart behind what we're talking about and the encouragement that I want us all to remember because it's between us and the Lord, between you and the Lord. He says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Christ gives us that vision. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. But it's according to the power that works in us. To Him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. Our decisions affect everybody else. It affects our family, our work environment, our communities that we live in. These things, Jesus says, I have spoken to you. That in Him... You may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good 
cheer, for he has overcome the world. Amen. Amen. Put away your notes, close your Bibles, and we're going to pray together. Just want to remind you and congratulate those that were water baptized last week. That that's vision for your life. And yes, we can congratulate them. And God says, I'm, 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 I've washed you clean. I'm, I've given you vision for your life. After service, or if you haven't already, in our courtyard at our New Hope, new, uh, our New Life uh, uh, table, our discipleship table, uh, they're going to have your baptism certificates. There's a picture and um, just something to remember that day. And put it somewhere. And just remember that God has given you vision for your life. And for all of us, He's done that. We're going to pray together, so would you bow your heads? And then we'll sing our final song together. Lord God, this morning as we pray together, I know that there's, there's so many dreams that are represented here in this room. So many, so many different kinds of vision that you've given for each person for their life. Whether they're a grandparent, their children have grown up, or maybe they're single. Maybe, maybe they've just gotten married, or, or maybe they're widowed. Who knows? Maybe they're a student. It doesn't change the truth that you have given them vision for their life. That you can do abundantly more than they could ever ask or think of. And it's through you that this can happen. This morning as we were just in your presence together, I know there are many of us who are re-energized because of your word. And that may be you this morning. You may be saying, Lord, you've, you've given me vision for my life and I've been running with it and I want to continue on with it. At the same time, Lord, I, I, I need to ask myself certain questions. Maybe I do need to sit down and count the cost, whatever it would be. But if you're here this morning and you're saying, Lord, thank you for giving me vision for my life. I want to follow you with it. And you're saying, Lord, thank you for empowering me and giving me vision for my life. Would you just respond this morning by saying thank you and just lift up a hand this morning. You're saying, thank you, Lord, for giving me vision for my life. Lord, many of us this morning, we're responding, Lord. We're saying thank you. You put your hands down. Lord, thank you for being the God who sees from beginning to end. That there's nothing that slips by you. You've given us vision for life. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen, Amen, Amen. amen.